You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. So good to see you guys today. Excuse me. God has been speaking today almost from when we got here, from when we got here. Through the the people who have been praying and conversations that we've had and things that are going on, God is speaking today. To those who have ears to hear what he has to say, that's on us. He's speaking, it's on us if we'll hear him. Agree with that? Agree with that? He has something very important to say now through the word. And if you're here, you're not here by choice. You're here because he drew you here. And he drew you here because he has something to say to you. And today is one of those messages where it's not really an ouch. It's not really a challenge. God wants to minister to whoever has ears to hear what he wants to say today. There are those of us who came here, and we got stuff that we've pressed so far down inside, we don't even realize we got stuff. We don't even realize how how much it's hindering us. And a lot of it has to do with how we think about ourselves. And God wants to minister to us. Will you allow him to do that? You know, we've, we've gone somewhat long. Do you have a few more minutes to give the Lord this morning? Some of you do. Today's text is the same as last week's, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. So if you stand with me, Brandon's going to come and read these verses. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a, sart, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Was that it? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Brandon. You may be seated. I was expecting something else, but if that's the verses... So last week's title was The Journey of a Lifetime. And we said that believers can experience the journey of a lifetime, exciting, meaningful life. Exciting, meaningful life. I just have a feeling I'm going to be looking at you guys a lot today. If you're open to it, I believe God has given me something to say to you, to all of us. But some of this is going to be especially suitable to you 
what's going on in your life, what has landed you here in Manus. God wants to minister to you. He wants to speak some encouragement to you. You've heard a lot of words that haven't been encouraging, haven't you? Well, God wants to speak encouraging words to you today. Will you open your heart to hear it? Will you open your ears and your mind to hear what he has to say? You'll hear my voice, but God will be speaking through his word to you. Meaningful life. Meaningful life comes from submitting ourselves. And I think, Steve, you even prayed this through James. Submitting ourselves to the plans, the purposes, the calling, the assignment, the will of God for our lives. And it's much better than any plan that we could devise for our own lives. Most of us in here have tried that first, right? What was the result? Miserable failure until we finally submitted our lives to him. And our first main point from this text last week was this. Every believer, the first step is, if you don't know the Lord, you need to come to know him. You can't get on his plan for you unless you first know him. And if you're not certain, if any of us are not certain, please see me. We can take care of that in a moment. God stands with his arms open for us to come and come to know him. Then we can get on the plan that he has for our lives. Every believer has a unique and specific calling of God upon their lives. Three very important statements. It is very important that every believer seek God for his plan. It is very important that every believer understand what God has designed and ordained us for. When our life is miserable and our life is a wreck and we don't want to be where we are, we'd rather be somewhere else, there's a good chance we're not on God's plan for our lives. We somehow got on our plan for our life. It's very important that every believer embrace this truth and live it out in its fullness. That becomes the journey of a lifetime. A bed of roses? Come on, where's the amen? Heck no. Has it been a bed of roses? No, but when you're in the will of God, it's exciting and it's a journey no matter what is happening. We said that when believers will submit themselves to God, life becomes full, it be full of meaning and rich. And we easily supported this with Scripture. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time in review, but we need some review so we can understand today's second point from that same passage. We are his workmanship, his own masterful work, a work of art. I said this last week, and I hope you heard me. It bears repeating. You are a work of art. You are a masterpiece. The master put you together. You are a masterpiece. God formed us. Sin deformed us. Jesus transforms us. We're reborn from above. We're new creations when we put our trust in Christ. We're spiritually transformed. You still look the same, but we're spiritually transformed. We're renewed. We're ready to be used. Are you ready to be used? I am so ready to be used. I am so tired of life as I've known it. And I've known the Lord for a long time. But there's always more. There's always more. And his promises in these days, there's so much more. Speaking of so much more, I feel like I have so much to say to you today and so little time in which to say it. We're ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set 
so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. Say so much about that, but we said it last week. That's why you need to come to church every week so we don't have to keep going back and repeating what we said before that you missed. Once we come to salvation, God has a unique and a specific plan for our lives, a purpose. There's purpose in life. You know, suicide, what has increased 600% or more? And the primary reason people kill themselves is what? There's no meaning to life. In the Lord, there's tremendous meaning to life. There's a reason to live. That was the biggest difference between my, my not knowing the Lord and coming to know him. I realized I finally had a purpose. I didn't have to wander aimlessly through this life. Always ending up with the same result. I'm going to die someday. Now I know I'm going to die someday and I don't care at all. It's something I'm looking forward to. Not the death process. Don't get me wrong. But I know where I'm going after I die and it's going to be so much better than here. You know, we all, at some point, walked in fear of death. It's what drives us to live is fear of death. Once you come to know the Lord, fear of death is gone. He died to set us free from fear of death. And you guys are young and you're healthy and you're strong and you think that death is way out there somewhere. But I'm here to tell you, I lived a life similar to yours and I had friends that never made it out of your age group. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. Just praise the Lord that he spared my life. I didn't deserve it at all. So we actually arrived at last week's main point by looking at what seemed to be a negative account of a fellow named John Mark. Do you remember that name, John Mark? If you were here last week or if you listened on podcast, John Mark is actually very important to these two messages, last week's and this week's. He was very important to that first main point because he wasn't on God's plan for his life and he was causing trouble. He's very important this week because he's going to be an example. Well, let's see what he's going to be an example of as we move on. John Mark. So after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed. We saw all that last week. Paul suggested a second missionary journey. Barnabas agreed. The church said, yeah, let's do it. Everything was good, but Barnabas wanted to take along who? John Mark. Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia. On the first missionary journey, John Mark deserted them. He left. He went home. He went back. Seemed to be a pattern in his life. A dispute arose between Paul and Barnabas, and at the center of the issue was this guy, John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take him along. Paul disagreed adamantly. The situation became quite serious. I mean, the words don't really convey how serious, but I'm going to try and help us understand how serious. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. They actually separated over this dispute. And Barnabas did take John Mark, and Paul chose another young disciple named Silas who went in a different direction. The problem, of course, is that on the first missionary journey, John Mark had started with them, but then John Mark left them. Scripture actually uses the word 
deserted. He deserted them. Knowing the Apostle Paul, that would not sit well with him. He did not want to give John Mark a second chance. And I want you to keep that phrase in mind as we go on. Second chance. Keep that phrase in mind for today's lesson. We, or I guess maybe it was me, and some of you agreed, and maybe all of you didn't, but I went out on a limb last week, and I ventured a guess as to why John Mark didn't stick it out. Do you remember that? One day the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. The men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. An afterthought, John Mark went with them. My own opinion was, and we went through this last week, but who does it say the Holy Spirit called for this work? Paul and Barnabas. Whom does it say the church set apart and commissioned for this work? Paul and Barnabas. Who did it say the Holy Spirit then sent out for this work? Paul and Barnabas. So the question last week was, who had the grace for the work? Paul and Barnabas. Not necessarily John Mark. Paul and Barnabas were called by the Lord into a plan. John Mark went along with them. Are you following this? This is still, this is still sort of review, but it's necessary to understand today's main point. If John Mark wasn't called by God to this work, if he wasn't sent out by the Holy Spirit, if he wasn't commissioned by the church, then perhaps he did not have the grace for it and he couldn't cut it, and that's why he struggled. He was not in God's will for him. Think about that. Think about your own life. Where are you right now in relation to God's will for you? If things aren't going right now, we know that there are trials and tribulation. We can't get that confused. There's a thin line and everything. But if your, your life is like beating your head against a wall, it's time to stop and think, man, have I been seeking God for what he wants me to do, for where he wants me to be, for what he has for me? There's a time that we're in God's will and Satan is opposing us, and there's a time that the stuff that's coming at us is being caused because... We're not seeking God for what he has for us. So from this grace thought, who had the grace for the work, we developed our first main point. Every believer has a unique and specific calling of God upon their lives, and it's incumbent upon us to find that and get in that or on that. To be effective and successful serving God in kingdom work, we got to be in God's will we got to be on God's plan, not just on our own thing. Many of us have found out the hard way that our own thing is not that effective. Here's the second main point now. We'll move into today's message. Oh, you didn't expect that, did you? God is a merciful, redemptive God. I'll try and explain that word. It's a theological word. God is a merciful, redemptive God. Even when we mess up, Pastor, even when we messed up big time and now we're suffering the consequences, especially then. Especially when we mess up. We don't need mercy when we're getting it right. 
We always need grace, but we don't need mercy. Mercy is for when we're messing up. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Those guys messed up. What? Paul and Barnabas? Those guys messed up. Pillars in the church, they messed up. Because on the surface, you just see a dispute. But if you get below the surface, you would say, God is not necessarily pleased with Paul and Barnabas. Scripture uses the word sharp to define what happened. This was not a mild disagreement. The word implies there were angry words spoken to each other. There were fits of rage. Can you imagine? Fits of rage, angry words, cutting remarks. That's what this word sharp means. Things were said between the two that should have never been said. The dispute was deep. The cut was severe. Ever been there, done that? Words spoken that should have never been spoken, and now you can't get them back. Decisions made that were not right decisions, and now you have to follow through because of your pride. Been there? Done that. Well, a great place for an amen then. I think you would agree with me. This is very disappointing to see this in Paul and Barnabas. Very disappointing. Truthfully, I wish it wasn't in there. I wish I didn't have to preach it. Because the words used imply a very ugly scene occurred that was witnessed by others. Paul and Barnabas. So a couple of comments for us off of this reality. Because, yeah, let's go on. God does not hide and God does not cover his servants' failures or their blemishes or their shortcomings or whatever word you want to use, our sin. God does not hide it. He does not cover it. He does not sugarcoat it. Think of King David. That whole sordid affair with Bathsheba is out there for all to see. Adultery. King David. Murder. He hired a hitman. To take out Bathsheba's wife, her husband. And yet scripture says, David was a man after God's own heart. Scripture says, David was the apple of his eye. Surely God wouldn't let us see this glaring failure in his choice servant's life, right? Wrong. It should actually be an encouragement to us. Not that God ever wanted this to happen, but he's showing us that we're all just ordinary people who need a Savior and need grace. And those who became great men in the Bible were not great men. They were ordinary men whom God made great when they gave their lives to him. And that's what he wants to do with you. You look at your situation right now, incarcerated in Mono's house, and things can look hopeless. But if you can somehow get into a mindset and a vision of what God has for you, there's great hope and there's great encouragement. He has a plan for each one of you, and it's larger and it's better than you can ever imagine it would be. you got to believe that. I can stand here and spit in your face while I'm talking, but you got to believe it. <laughs> if you believe it, it will become a reality. If you submit yourself to him. 
See, there's a principle in the world that doesn't hold true in the spiritual realm. We say, when I see it, I'll believe it. In the spiritual realm, it's when I believe it, I'll see it. It's the way it works. It's a faith principle. So much to say. So little time to say it. Surely God wouldn't let us see the glaring weaknesses, failure, sin of his choice servants, would he? Yes, he would. Yes, he did. And yes, he does. Blessed is the man who doesn't cover his sin. When we sin, we try and cover it so nobody else sees it. That's doomed. That's, that's, that's doomed to failure. The correct thing is confess your sin. And he's faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It even goes far as to say, confess your sins or your faults or your failings to one another and then pray for one another so that you may be healed, set free from these things. David lived a miserable life for a year until God sent a prophet to him and told him a story. You know, David was like one of the richest men in the world and he wanted this other man's wife. So he had an affair with her and then he had the man killed. And then he went on with his life. But if you read his Psalms, he is miserable. Inwardly is miserable for one year till finally the prophet Nathan comes and tells him a story. There's a man in your kingdom who has many, many sheep and all the riches he wants. And a visitor came to him and they wanted to prepare a feast. So the rich man went and took the poor man's one sheep and slaughtered it and fed his guests. And David was furious. Who would do that? This man had everything, and he took that guy's sheep. And Nathan the prophet looked at David and said, you're the man. You're the man. You had everything. Anything you would have asked me, I would have given you. And you had to take Uriah's wife and then have Uriah killed. Well, of course, there's the crushing. But this is what made David after a, God, a man after God's own heart. There was the repentance and there was the restoration because God is a merciful, redemptive God. God does not hide or cover his servants' failures, our blemishes, our sin. He tells it like it is. Another thought on this. He simply redeems them. He doesn't hide or cover his servants' failures. He redeems them. He redeems their mistakes. He Redemptive, redeems, see the relation? He redeems their failures. He brings about great good out of them. If he didn't, we'd all be in a world of hurt. There's a case in point right in this passage. Their disagreement was so sharp, they separated. Paul, Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and he left by a different direction. So out of their failings, out of this horrible dispute, out of this ugly scene that other younger believers witnessed from these two mature believers, this terrible scene, two spiritual men couldn't even get along, two seriously spiritual men. But out of that, God brought about two missionary trips instead of one. You think, I may be getting ahead of myself, but you think God would have said, Paul and Barnabas, I am done with you. You guys, terrible witness in front of these young believers that you're supposed to be discipling. You know this was sin. I'll find somebody else to do the work. No, see, God is a merciful, redemptive God. He didn't cast them aside. 
he arranged it so now there's going to be two missionary journeys. We think God would say, you messed up, you're done. That's what the world, has the world ever said that to you guys? Has the world ever said that to any of us? You can't cut it. You messed up. You're done. I'm here to tell you, God will never, ever, ever say that to you, no matter how bad you've messed up. If you knew me before I was a pastor, see, people come in now and they see me like, oh, you were a pastor all your life. They didn't know me when I was your age, and I messed up big time, and God redeemed my life. That's not God. That's not how he thinks. His mercies are new every morning. You messed up yesterday. There's mercy today. He will never leave you or forsake you. Out of Paul and Barnabas' horrible mess up, there now is double kingdom advancement. There's now double the salvations, double the discipleship, double the glory, double the good. God is amazing, brilliant, right, Steve Smith? God is brilliant how he does that. Let's check out his promise on this. And we know with great confidence, that's why I can stand here and speak confidently to you. We know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, he never writes us off. We write each other off rather quickly, I might say. He never writes us off. And he causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his plan and his purpose. Few thoughts. We know with great confidence. We can be, confidence of this tr- we can be confident of this truth. This is a promise of God to his people. All right? God causes all things to work together as a plan, meaning all things, nothing accepted. Our mistakes, yep. Our failures, yep. Our sin, yep. It's included in all things. He has already taken into consideration that that was going to be your experience, and he has planned it so he can work it out for good. He's brilliant. And when he did that, he's thinking of each one of you. Now, again, you got to believe this. You have free will. That's the rub on all this. You have free will. But you got to choose to believe that this is true. And that's how God feels about you. For, for many of us, and this is where I believe God wants to minister to us, it's hard for us to believe that God feels that way about us. We've known ourselves. We've known what we've done. We've heard the world, the flesh, and the devil just speak condemnation to us for most of our life. And now God's speaking encouragement to us. But the voice of condemnation is louder than the voice of encouragement. Some of us are struggling with that and we don't even realize it. We're struggling with a self-image and we don't even realize it because you can only hear that voice of condemnation for so long. And then you drive it down inside and you, you become what they were saying you are. And God's trying to dig down deep in all of us, in you guys, and pull out and say, no, that's not who you are. You're not who the world, the flesh, and the devil has been telling you you are. You're a masterpiece. You're a work of art in God's eyes. I know when I first got saved, I got saved out of fear. And by the way, fear is a very valid reason to get saved. More people get saved because they don't want to go to hell than that they love God. Amen? Amen. That's why I got saved. 
Then God started to deal with me. You, you came to me through fear, but now I want you to know how much I love you. But I had heard all my life that I'm unlovable. And it took God a long time to break through that mindset I had, that I'm not anything more than a failure and unable to make it. I still can struggle with that. God wants to deal with that issue with us today, if that's you. Some of you have come into a beautiful confidence in who you are in Christ. Most of us have not. We're still trying to get there. So nothing is accepted. All things God works together for good. See, he saw it coming beforehand. You tried to hide it from him, but mm, sorry. He saw it coming beforehand. He, knows what, he knew it was going to happen. He was not caught off guard. He designed what you did, your mess up, into his plan to redeem it and make it work out for good. Now, I do want to give you one caveat. We often take promises of Scripture and we just apply them across the board. One good one is, hey, my God will supply all your need. We'll tell anybody that. But we better read the context. The promise is to those who are giving to God's work. Those who are giving to God's work have the promise that he will supply all of our need. This promise is to who? Those who are called according to his plan and his purpose. God's promises are conditional. If you do this, if you do that, then I will do. So this promise is to those. Are you listening? If you want this promise, it's for you. But it's for those who have submitted themselves to him and are attempting at least to live according to his will, not our own will. That's who has the promise God will work all things out together for good. To those folks, God has made a promise and God cannot lie. Have you ever, don't answer out loud please. It's for you and this question is for you and me. Have you ever failed the Lord? Think about that. Have you ever messed up big time? Have you ever blew it? Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was unintentional. Maybe it was pressure for outside circumstances, but you blew it big time. You failed in your Christian walk. Has that ever happened to you? Of course it has. Maybe you're in that situation right now, and you're still going through the motions of your Christianity, but inside you're just devastated because you know how bad you messed up. Take heart, my brothers and sisters, because God is a merciful, redemptive God. He is not holding that against you. The world, the flesh, and the devil are. You can't forgive yourself. God has already forgiven you. And he promises to redeem your mess up. He promises to bring about great good from it. Here's Paul's take on the whole matter, and it will be good for us. Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. In other words, I haven't become perfect. Yeah, we just saw that, Paul, back in Acts 15. He has not become per perfect. But I focus on this one thing. I forget the past. Can you do that? Can you guys do that? 
I forget the past. I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ is calling us, calling me, and that all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Curious. Put this in perspective. I wonder if when Paul wrote this, he had this incident with Barnabas in mind. And when he wrote, he was thinking, man, I am not perfect. And he's telling the Philippians, if you would have seen and heard a dispute that I had with my dear friend and brother Barnabas, for which I am so sorry, if you would have seen me then, but God was so merciful and kind, he redeemed me and Barnabas's failings, and now he's used us mightily in spite of ourselves. That's comforting, right? That's encouraging, right? Because you've messed up, and so have I. Forget the past. After repentance, of course, if we confess our sins. Forget the past, no matter how bad it may have been. Simply repent, get on track, focus forward to what God has in store for you. Because if you're here and you're breathing air, and if you're still above ground, it's never too late to get on to God's will for your life. Amen. He redeems our failings. He redeems our mess-ups. God's gifts and his call, his plans, purpose, assignment can never be withdrawn. If you are a believer, God has a prearranged plan for your life. He never withdraws it. He adapts it to our free will as we go through, but he never changes his plan. They're irrevocable. When you got saved, God had a plan, and that plan is irrevocable. If you're on it, you're enjoying it, and if you're not, he's simply waiting for you to get on it. You have free will, never twist your arm. That's the rub in all this. Even as truly saved, dedicated believers, we got free will. Anytime through genuine repentance and submission, we can get back on God's glorious plan for our lives. But pastor, isn't that just a cop out? Oh, go ahead and sin and then repent and get back, back on track. You know, it could sound like a cop out, but I'm here to tell you that's spiritual truth, whether we like it or not. Paul said, one thing I do, I forget the past and I start marching forward again. And all of you who are spiritually mature, you should have that same attitude. You shouldn't be caught up in woe is me. How did I do that? Oh, I'll never be anything. No, that's for the immature Christian. The mature Christian says, man, like the dispute with Barnabas, I blew it. But wow, God is so merciful and redemptive. I confess, I repent. I love him all the more now because of that. And I'm pressing on. We're going to end today with John Mark, because I want to use John Mark to illustrate that God is merciful and he's redemptive. Remember last week, we pointed out all the negatives about John Mark, but I said to you, before we moved on, don't worry about John Mark. He's going to be fine. Did you remember that? Don't worry about John Mark. He's going to be fine. Well, take a look. Several New Testament scriptures. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, this is Paul writing, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. That's our John Mark. As you were instructed before, and this is Paul speaking, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Wait a minute, Paul. Didn't you just say you will refuse to take him along? He deserted you? Apparently, he dropped the name John by now. He probably didn't want to be associated with that. 
part of his life. Now he goes by Mark. But this is the same guy, Barnabas' cousin. We said that last week. This was written by Paul later in his life. And it seems that Paul and John Mark hooked up somewhere along the way. And it looks like Mark did not bail out this time when things got tough because he's in prison with Paul. Hmm, quite a turnaround. God is a merciful, redemptive God. He didn't write either one of them off. He's a God of second, third, and gazillion chances. Here's another one. Only Luke is with me, says Paul writing. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. What? You mean the guy that deserted you when times got tough? Now you're wanting to be there with you because he'll be useful? So not only did Mark have a turnaround, so did Paul. What an attitude change about John Mark. You give God room and he can do amazing, amazing things. Here's two strong wills. Well, one strong will and one wimpy will that he has turned around. And this is written, by the way, at the end of the Apostle Paul's life. He's facing death when he writes this. And who was one of the primary guys Paul wanted by his side at the end? John Mark. God is a merciful, redemptive God. Will you say that with me? God is a merciful and redemptive God. God is a merciful and redemptive God. Yeah. And he will be merciful to you and me. And he will redeem all your mistakes, all your failings, all your mess-ups, all your sin. And it will bring about great good that you could never imagine. Ephesians 3.20. Now God is able to do immeasurably above and beyond anything I could even ask or think. You see your situation now in monos. But you need to somehow see what God has for you as you get out and move forward. You already said that. Say it again. This probably is close to the last. Philemon 22 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. Maybe you're not seeing it like I'm seeing it. I'm astounded by this. Paul wouldn't even take him along. He gave up his friendship with his best friend and co-worker Barnabas over the dispute. And now he's calling Mark one of my primary precious co-workers. Working with me. Paul adamantly refused to take him along on the second missionary journey, but somewhere along the way became one of Paul's closest companions and useful co-laborers. I didn't have this story down here. Probably not the wisest to share it right now, but I'm going to share it anyhow. The difference between Paul and John Mark then and now. So when I was in college and I was not a Christian and I was not living a Christian life and I got into a drunken brawl and I got beat up pretty bad. But the guy who beat me up was um, in trouble all the time and he knew he was going to be um, kicked out of school for this. So the next day, I'm all bandaged up because they took me to the hospital and they, they sewed me up. And I just remember the nurse, the doctor saying to the nurse, don't give that boy any Novocaine. He has too much alcohol in his system. So I laid there and they just stitched me up. I was on the verge of a concussion, so I wasn't allowed to go to sleep. So it was a miserable time. Anybody calls those the good old days, they don't know what they're talking about. 
So the next day, I'm laying in bed. I'm not allowed to sleep. I've been up all night, and I hear this on my door. And I'm like, come in. And the door opens, and it was the kid that beat me up. I had an empty wine bottle above my bed. I picked it up, and I threw it. But he shut the door, and the, door, the bottle exploded. So he comes in. He goes, no, man, I'm not here to fight. I'm like, well, what do you want? He said, I'm going to get booted out of college for this unless we can, we can do something. Well, he ended up actually getting booted out. But you know, he became a very good friend of mine <laughs> from that point on. Parker Davis was his name. Barnabas and John Mark couldn't, wouldn't want to have anything to do with him back then. Now he's one of my primary co-workers. I told you not to worry about John Mark. He'd end up fine. God's a merciful, redemptive God. None of us have done anything beyond God's ability to have mercy and redeem our situations or our lives in general for great good. So just an FYI in closing to add like icing to the cake. Somebody just quickly name the four Gospels for me. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's the name of that second Gospel again? Who do you think God chose to write that Gospel? John Mark. God is a merciful, redemptive God. Deborah, will you come and pray for us? The rest of us will stand. Sunday, if you want to bring the band forward. Wait till we all get settled and then so we're paying attention and then lead us in prayer. that I'm not sure what to even say but I came here today um, just humble before the Lord and that continued with the message and um, I just want to praise him today Lord I when I come up here to pray it's like the only thing I can do is just praise him and thank him for his goodness and for who he is and like the one song we sang today he lives in us and I'm so thankful that he lives in us and um, he gave me this David's Prayer to read because um, years ago when we had the house of prayer, I walked there and when I was walking home, I was reading, you probably heard this before, but I was reading First Chronicles at the house of prayer. And it was sort of dry to me. I was just reading it. And then I came upon David's Prayer and it impacted me. It was just amazing an amazing praise to the Lord. So when I was leaving the house of prayer, I was praying on my way home, Lord, how can I truly praise you? And he said, memorize David's prayer. Now I did that. Um, I don't remember all of it to this day, so I'm gonna read it so I don't leave parts out. But this is what I think he wants me to read today. So first, Lord, I just come before you and, and just praise you for your goodness and for who you are, Lord, and, and that you are so forgiving and that you do not hold things against us, against us. And you call our name and you forgive us and you love us and you give us grace and you give us mercy because you are the Lord of lords and King of kings and you are El Shaddai and you are all things, Father. So I praise you. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. 
Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks, and we praise your glorious name. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. That's in First Chronicles chapter 29, I think, if you want to read that. It's an awesome praise to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.